Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons, or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 4. I'd like you to keep those open this morning as we're going to be looking at that text for the entirety of the message and we'll be referencing in and out of it. So John chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 27 in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and we're glad you're with us today uh, as we begin this journey or continue this journey through looking at the life of Jesus and uh, what he's teaching us about who he is and who we are and why are we here and what's our purpose. Uh, as we uh, direct ourselves in that direction, I'd like to open with some questions. As a pastor, and this won't surprise you, uh, as a pastor and being in a, on a church staff, it's not uncommon for people to call us and say, something's going on in my life and I just need some direction. I need some Bible. I need to understand what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to create a number here. I think it's within the scope of possibility and even probability that about 15% of the people that will come to anybody for spiritual advice, uh, they don't know what they're supposed to do next. About 85%, I would speculate, do. They just need the encouragement to be able to do it. But there is that group of people who come in with this set of circumstances or a situation, and they just don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to get out of their own way. They don't know how to make amends. And so they're looking for, what does the Bible teach? What has Jesus said? Help me with this journey. In light of that, I'd like to ask just a a series of of questions or put some thoughts in your mind as we open ourselves up to John chapter 4 again today. And that is, if you knew what was missing in your marriage and you loved your spouse, and you respected them, would you not do what it took to fix it? You would, right? If you loved them and cared about them and you cared about the relationship, you would would do what you needed to do to make it right. If you knew what was missing at work and you you enjoyed your job and, and the benefits of the pay and the benefits that you received to care for your family and provide uh, food and shelter and clothing and all of those good things. And if your, your boss said, I need you to do more of this, you would do more of that, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect that a good human being, if they valued what they were receiving, would, would respond in kind to do what was necessary? Or if, you're, if your kids came to you and it's a new phase of life for them, and they needed more from you as a mom or a dad. They needed more time or more affection or more attention or, or just more of something. You would give that to them if you loved them, wouldn't you? Or if uh, your health were bad and the doctor said you had to give up red licorice, you'd cry really hard for a long time. I know I would. But ultimately, to be healthy, if I had to get rid of that, then I would get rid of that, right? I mean, that's just what humans do. We adjust to what is needed Because we want to be good people who do the right things. Keep those thoughts in mind as we progress. Because the ultimate question of the day for all of us is, if there's something that's good for me and good for you, wouldn't I do that? Wouldn't I offer that willingly? Just out of love? Last week, we were in John chapter 4. And and I'm going to summarize briefly where we were for those of you who couldn't be with us last Sunday. We talked about Jesus meeting a woman at a well. And this woman had a do not disturb sign over her entire life. She had been wounded, she had been hurt, she'd been distracted, she, she had made poor choices and had poor choices made against her, and she went to the well in the middle of the day, and the reason she went to the well in the heat of the day is because nobody went to the well at the heat of the day. That's why she went in the heat of the day, because nobody would be there. 
And Jesus talked to her. He confronted her with the simple question, would you get me a drink? And it began a conversation that opened her life to who she was. And Jesus identified who she was, but he also identified what he could be for her. And her whole, the trajectory of her life changed. And she became a different person in one conversation because of who Jesus revealed himself to be. Let's look at verse 27 of John chapter 4 and continue our story. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, it's funny, John writes, no one asked Jesus, or no one asked the woman, what do you want? Or no one asked Jesus, why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town, went back to the town. That's a loaded phrase. And I need to explain it for those of you who weren't with us last week. When she went back to the town, she was going back to the people who had rejected her. She was going back to the people that had called her names. The, these were the people she was avoiding. The reason she went to the well in the heat of the day is because nobody went to the well at the heat of the day. And now she was going back to those people with a message about a man she met and what that man did, said, or encouraged her to be. She rushed back, verse 29. And rushing back, she said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their ways towards him. The change in what took place in John chapter 4 is so significant. This woman who had a do not disturb sign over her entire life is now being disturbed with the good news of Jesus and offering it to those who had once rejected her. And not only was she offering it to them, they were receiving it. It's a powerful story. I think what I want you to hold on to of all the important things I hope to say today I want you to remember this one most of all. The sharing of the gospel message is in radical relationships, not in radical arguments. What we're going to see here is the beautiful part of this story is the radical relationship between this woman and Jesus and thusly this woman and her community and then thusly her community and Jesus. That the gospel, when it's rightly used, is about developing radical relationships, not radical arguments. And I'd love to redeem what we've been asked to do through that lens. You see, Jesus brought this troubled and rejected woman to faith. And her faith compelled her to share her faith with those that didn't have faith in her. And there was a drastic change made. The big piece of theology I want to express today and have you hold on to is this. And don't, for, don't forget that this is present to you in the Gospels. That This is one of several places in the Bible where the joy of Christianity is directly linked to mission. And I want you to think about that with me. That the joy of being a believer of Jesus is not separate of mission. It is directly linked to mission. The reason for many of us that we don't have any more juice in our walk with Jesus is we've turned obedience into this duty I have to perform to stay out of trouble instead of understanding there is a mission to our life that when we live out that mission brings a joy we get nowhere else. And if there's one thing this world needs right now is joy. Can I have an amen to that? Everyone's walking around just afraid to cross a line, say a bad thing, or get in another argument. And that's why the gospel is about radical relationships, not radical arguments. Now, I know I wrote this, and I thought it was really cute, and the last two services have yawned at me. I'm going to try it one more time. Have mercy on me, please. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus did not come to present the good news so we would know he knew it. 
He didn't come to the, with the gospel so we would go, well, he's really smart. He came to present the gospel so we'd use it. We would use it. Not just acknowledge that he really knows what he's talking about, but to experience it, to offer it, to lavish the gospel in every relationship we're in. So there's three things I learned as I was studying this text. And I want to share those three things this morning and then offer us a challenge at the end. The first truth is there is a truth worth telling. And this is really important. If I'm going to aggravate you this morning, it'll be in this point. And I want to. So here we go. There is a truth worth telling. Look what he did to this woman. First of all, he talked to her and he confronted her with her condition. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right. You've had five and the last one, the man you're living with won't even marry you. He confronts her with her identity. He confronts her with her sinful behavior. Whether she performed all the sin or some was performed against her, she's in this situation where she's hiding out in the heat of the day because she doesn't want to face her own condition. And Jesus gently, firmly, and honestly confronts her condition. And then he remedies her condition with his grace. Where he says, there is a day coming, and now is, when you will worship in spirit and truth. She needed a place to take her sin. There was no temple that would accept her. She needed a place to offer her sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'm the place. It's no longer a location. It's no longer a lineage. You don't have to be Jewish. Salvation comes from the Jews, not for the Jews. And he offered her something new. But for her to understand what he was offering her, she had to know her condition. If you never see your need, you'll never see your need for Jesus. And what he did was put her in a position to come and see what he was offering and to accept it. So when is good news good? When does the good news of the gospel, when is it good news instead of an argument, instead of a division, instead of a turn or burn proposition? Good news is good when you see someone who has a need and you remedy the need because you love them. And so I have to ask you the question because if ignorance is a weakness and love overcomes weakness, then love must confront ignorance, correct? Now I know I'm being really logical right now and some of you feelers are about to pass out because you feel like I'm backing you into a corner and all you can do is come out scrapping. You don't have to. I'll show you where we're going. If I'm ignorant or unaware that there is a cure for my illness, I need someone to love me enough to show me that there is a cure. And news brings power because it ends ignorance. So Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. And our world says, how narrow-minded are you? How dare you tell me what I need to do, like you know? And I just told you that there's a truth that's worth telling. So let me ask you a series of questions here. Just play along with me for a few moments and humor me. Is it narrow-minded for a group of doctors and pharmacists to tell you that if you drink rat poison, you're going to die? Is that narrow-minded? No, because it's accurate. And someone who knows what rat poison would do to a body can instruct a child by putting a lock on the cabinet or smacking their little hands softly to say, don't touch this. Is it narrow-minded to say, well, it's not good for me to drink rat poison, but it could be okay for you? That's ridiculous. Why? Because the truth is established on the credibility of the source speaking it. 
So here we have a moment. I want to ask you a series of questions. Now, if you're visiting here today, you'll naturally answer. The members here won't. So feel free to overwhelm them with your responses. So here we go. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. I need your answers. Do you think racism is wrong? Wrong for everybody? Regardless of the circumstances? Not just wrong for you. So we've agreed that racism is wrong. How dare you tell someone that their attitude toward another human could be wrong? Why would you say that? Because my Bible tells me that God loves all people. Every gender. Every skin color. Every nationality. Every ethnic group. The good and the bad. The wise and the uneducated. The strong and the weak. The rich and the poor. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. My Bible says God so loved the world he sent Jesus. So I can say racism is wrong and I can be right. Because my source of authority isn't me. It's the revelation of God himself. People, there's a truth worth telling. And Jesus told us what's true. You see, you don't get into Christianity because it's exciting, although it can be. And then other times, eh, not so much. You don't get into Christianity because it's relevant, even though it always is. The word of God has not failed to talk about everything we're going through. You don't get into Christianity because it's transforming, even though it does. You become a follower of Christianity because it's true. The resurrection proved it. And if it's not true, it can't be relevant, it can't be exciting, and it can't be transforming. It has to begin with truth. And so when Jesus speaks, you have to ask yourself a question. Does he know, does he know more about this than I do? And when you know the truth, it's worth talking about. The second thing you learn from this engagement of this woman with her community is that there's a love worth revealing. And this is probably where the church has failed historically. We've worked so hard to be right that we haven't been righteous. And being righteous is being loving as Jesus loved us. As Jesus forgave us, we forgive others. As Jesus loved us, we love others. And so I want you to consider the motive for her behavior What was the motive that moved this woman? I want you to notice a few things. When she's talking to Jesus, excuse me, when she's talking to Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, now go into your community and tell people what I told you. He doesn't have to. She just drops her bucket and goes. He didn't give her permission and he didn't give her a command. But what took place before that was the motivation. When she knew who she was and she knew how he loved She didn't need permission. She just needed opportunity. And she went back to the people that rejected her and she offered them good news and bad news. Now let me tell you the bad news because I think it's cute. I'm not making light of it. It's endearing to me. She runs back with the bad news. She goes back to the community that rejected her that had nothing to do with her and the first word she says is, bad news, he knows. She says, he told me everything I ever did. Now if you knew everything I ever did, I would fear you. Because you could use that against me as blackmail and destroy me. Am I the only one? No, no. The reason we don't tell some people some things is because we don't want them to know some things. She goes back and says, the bad news is, he knows. And he knows what you did, and you did, and both of you did, and you last night, and you, and all of a sudden, she's going back, and that doesn't sound like good news to me, it's bad news. And the good news is, he corrects it. See, that's double good news for me. 
Because Jesus didn't say, well, go take a leather whip and, and whip your back and tear yourself up to show me how sad you are. He didn't say, go live in a cave and never talk to anybody else again and do without good food and, and the best things in life and just go live this Spartan existence to prove to me how sorrowful you are. He said, don't climb a mountain or, or slay 10,000 goats or, or, or go take on the champion of a, of a Philistine tribe. He didn't tell him to do any of those things. She said, no, he told me the bad news. He knows what I am. He told me the good news. He came to fix it. And ultimately, the love she felt was enough to send her with the offering of hope. He knows what you did. He knows everything you've ever done. And he came anyway to love you and to remedy, to give you the cure of what's killing you. You see, you and I are more wicked and evil than we've ever dared admit. And you and I are more loved, valued, accepted than we ever imagined could be. And that is the gospel. We're more evil than we ever will admit, and we're more loved, valued, and accepted than we ever dreamed was possible. She went and she offered hope, but she told her story. You see, when she said, he knows what I did, so did they. They knew enough to judge her. That's why she was going in the middle of the day. Because she, she knew if she went, they would talk about her and they would remind her. And she didn't want to see her condition. But she knew that he knew her condition. And instead of rejecting her, he drew her in. When you offer hope to someone who needs the cure the gospel brings, tell your story. You know your story. Be transparent. I used to be this, I used to do this, I used to not care about this. But because of the love of Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel, I care about that now. And I don't do these things anymore. And I started doing these better things because that's who I desire to be in my worship of my God. When you tell your story, you know your story. Now, please don't take this as a shame moment, but let's be honest in this place. So many of us have given ourselves excuses and other Christians have supported our excuses. That the reason we don't want to talk about what's going on and ask people about their relationship with Jesus is they may ask us a question that shows us how ignorant we are. But I want to tell you that this woman had no idea who Jesus was, truthfully. She had the smallest taste of grace. And it was enough for her to not only tell her story, but say to to her friends and enemies, come and see for yourself. You see, when we're offering hope, all we're saying is, I am satisfied by Jesus Christ, and I want you to experience that reality too. I can't make you satisfied with Jesus, but I can tell you why I am, and I can tell you what he's done for me. He knows my story, and he loved me anyway. He's inviting me into something much bigger than myself, and he wants to invite you, come and see with me. That's what he offered. And the Bible says they went. You see, there's a truth worth telling that Jesus Christ is the solution. And there's a love worth revealing that happens in community. Remember, the sharing of the gospel is in radical relationships, not in radical arguments. So it brings me to my third point. This is what I learned, that there is a method that translates that love. That allows the truth to be true and the love to be real. Michael and I were talking about it in the hallway 
after last hour that really it's a, it's a balance we have to strike if we want the gospel to be the gospel is that you have to remain steadfast to truth but also graceful and loving in its administration. Most of us will side to one or the other. We'll be very right and oh so wrong. Or we'll be very loving and never deal with the, the need for the cure that the gospel brings. If you look here, you'll see what Jesus has done. He's taken a woman and made her his friend, not an enemy. And in our culture, we're like, yay, he's a nice guy. And miss the absolute point of it. I want to say this slowly and emphatically. This guy made a woman a friend. And to Jesus' audience, that was stunning. You see, did you notice what John wrote happened when the disciples came back? They wanted to ask both of them. They wanted to say to her, what do, you, what do you want? And they wanted to say to him, what are you doing? Do you see what was inherent in each one of those questions? Jesus, you've exposed yourself. You're talking to this woman who you're not married to in public, and she's one of them. And what I love about Jesus, it's one of the thousands of things we're going to talk about in this series that I love about Jesus. He doesn't care about those who judge him. He would rather just love people. He doesn't let the thoughts of what people think of him affect who he is and how he loves, and neither should we. There are people in our lives who need the offering of hope, and we've said no for them. Don't you dare say no for anybody but yourself. Offer the hope. She went back into a town where she was rejected, and she offered them because, listen to me, you may have heard this before, but I think it's pretty profound. The sharing of the gospel is really about radical relationships, not radical arguments. And when she went back and offered them grace and hope, she was more concerned about loving them than being right with them. So we go on, and Jesus says in verse 34, the disciples had gone to get food, if you remember, and they came back, and they were like, are you hungry? And he said, my food, verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do, not, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now, I didn't understand this text until about two years ago when I was doing some reading and someone pushed me toward a particular commentary I didn't use very much and I began to read it and I realized, I must confess to you, I'm a city kid. I've always lived in big towns, well, big or small college towns. I've never really lived in the country. I had a cucumber patch one time with my grandpa, and I lost interest, and he finished it. I know nothing about agriculture. Jesus is using a farming metaphor here, and I didn't pick it up until I was instructed. My experience with agriculture goes back to kindergarten, kindergarten or first grade. I can't remember, but I remember distinctly what happened. They gave us that plastic cup, and they gave it full of dirt, and they gave us a bean seed. And everyone in kindergarten or first grade, I can't remember which, would plant that seed and we would see how things grew and then all of a sudden this green thing would break through. But in my class, I remember distinctly, everyone's cup had a green sprout but mine. I know, feel sorry for me. And now you won't. And Mrs. Kuntz, my teacher, uh, who was friends with my mom, came to me and she apologized. And she said, Mark, I'm so sorry, I must have given you a bad seed. And I simply responded something like this to her in first grade vernacular. No, I think it's the right seed. Every day when I pull it out of the cup and look at it, it looks like everybody else's. I was digging my fat little fingers in there every day, pulling it out, rubbing it up, and going, huh, 
There it is, putting it right back in and patting it down, and she had no clue. Everybody got a bean plant but me. Rightfully earned. So I know I don't deal with agriculture well, but I learned what Jesus taught. Jesus said, no planter goes out on a Tuesday and expects to harvest on a Wednesday. In fact, most of us know it'll take two or three months for whatever's planted to actually grow. But Jesus said, but not so with the gospel. Gospel is the only seed that you'll ever plant that could be planted on one day and harvested that night with full fruit. So he's saying, don't you say, well, it's not a good time to talk about the gospel. It's not a good day for me to offer hope. He says, no, the planter and the harvester wait with anticipation because when they plant, God does such miraculous growth, you could harvest that night and there will be rejoicing for both. So in other words, don't say no for anybody else. Go back to the places you've come from, the places you may have even been rejected and offer the hope that you've discovered. He knows And yet he loves. And there's no one, no way to get to the Father but through Jesus. As radical as that is. So in verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to him, the people from the town, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said, Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that the man really is Savior of the world. What a powerful thing. She knew nothing about Jesus except he loved her and he was the Messiah. And by telling her story and offering them hope, they came for themselves to come and see. Our job is to offer hope. It's not to be their hope. It's not to solve all of their problems. It's to share with them. What you need is to enter into a radical relationship with Jesus that will cause you to leave your bucket on the side. The thing she most wanted was a drink of water. The thing she got was eternal life. Why? Because she dropped the bucket and pursued the hope. And see, that's inherent throughout the whole story. She said no to good things to say yes to greater things. And in it, she found a radical relationship instead of a radical argument. We no longer believe because of what you said. I'd like you to to walk with me for just a moment mentally. I'm going to read something, and it's going to take a little bit of time for me to do so. And I want you to reset yourself to follow with me what the gospel is. The gospel is a story of a king. Not a king who usurps power, but a king who has natural authority. A king who is building a kingdom and a king who's come to invite you to be a part of his kingdom. And not, not the old time kingdom, but a kingdom of growth and of love and of safety. And he's inviting you to be a part of it. He knows, what, he's no, he knows everything you've ever done to him, against him, and for him. And he came anyway. He knows that you'll never be enough on your own, so he came and offered you life and hope. He's building a kingdom all around us. It's not a one-day kingdom. It's a right-now kingdom. This kingdom will prevail. It will win the greatest battle ever fought throughout history. And right now, that kingdom is harvesting new people that were planted instantaneously. That throughout the globe today, 
Millions, if not billions of people are gathering in this kingdom and honoring this king. This king not only wants you to join the work with him, he wants you to understand you're the work of the kingdom and your neighbor is the work of the kingdom and your spouse and your kids and your neighbors and your enemies are the work of the kingdom. And he wants to invite you to be involved in inviting all of them to come and see for themselves what you've discovered, what you've learned and experienced. But it costs this king everything to offer you this. So let's not be mistaken. It will cost you everything to receive it. And if you're not willing to offer everything, then you're offering nothing. To enter in this kingdom means you get rid of your own throne, your own palace, your own safety, your own vision, your own dream, and your own fame. And you enter into this king's kingdom, and I promise you, you'll miss nothing. Are you interested? Because I want to offer you hope. And some of us right now, we need joy, we need peace, and we need hope. We do this periodically here, and we're going to do it again today. And for some of you, it'll make you uncomfortable. And that's not our intention. Unless you're becoming uncomfortable, answers the series of questions I asked you beforehand. If your children needed more from you as a parent, would you not do your best to offer them that? If your marriage needed more from you, would you not offer your spouse that? If your work needed more from you, would you not offer them? If it didn't cost you your soul, would you not give more effort, more focus, more efficiency, and more discipline? Of course you would. So I have to ask you, if you desire something from God today, I want you to know that if you would offer good things to your children, how much more will your father offer you greater things? So what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to ask you if you desire this today. If from this teaching, there's a part of you that there's something missing and you're wanting it. The church can't provide it for you, but God can. You're surrounded by people every day and we invite them to church hoping that this will change them. And I, I beg you, invite them to come with you to see Jesus. You may even find him in the church. So you come to a church like this and first of all, you drive out in the middle of nowhere and it looks like a Sam's Club and then you drive in here and there's people milling all over and people have no idea where to go. I can tell visitors, their eyes are huge and they stop three feet inside the door. But if you said to those you loved, I'd like to offer you some hope I've experienced. Don't just say, come to church. Say, I'm gonna meet you. I'm gonna be in the lobby. We're gonna get a cup of coffee. Maybe we'll even go to dinner. Everybody eats on Sunday. Come and see for yourself what life in the kingdom is like. But for some of us, we can't get there because something's missing in us. So this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is if you desire what I'm about to state, I'll ask you to stand. And after a few moments, I'll ask you to be seated. There's no pressure. But if you're sitting here this morning and you desire faith, you believe Jesus is right, but the world gives you so many messages, sometimes it's really hard to trust that when it's just easier to trust experiences and live for ourselves and pay our bills and do our work and on and on we go. If right now while you hear me speaking, you're going to ask God to give you faith and belief like you've never had so that the gospel is a secondary thought to you now. You're just living in it, experiencing it, seeking all that it is. If you desire that God makes your faith grow and gives you something truly to believe in and you would like us to pray for you, would you stand wherever you are in the room right now?
There's no judgment of any of you being seated right now, but I want you to look around at someone near you. The beauty of this is you don't need to know their name. God does. But hold on to this moment and look at the number of people you worship with every week who want so much to know Jesus at such a level that it's just secondary nature to live for him and trust him. Maybe seated. Now, there's another group in the room that we've thought about, and it's joy. Right now, there's no juice for you. Obeying God is a duty. You, you, you know he's right. You know Jesus is the solution. The resurrection has proven to your heart that he's, he's it. He's the truth. He's the way. He's the life. But you're missing the joy. And you're off mission. You're, you're, you're serving in areas, but you're not serving him. You're serving the church. Or you're caught up in what church you go to. And all that comes with American Christianity, which is so distracting. But you just want joy again. You want to wake up, like John says in the Revelation when he quotes Jesus' words, that you've lost your first love. You trust Jesus, but there's just something missing. I need to ask you a question. Do you believe that God wants you to have joy? I do. I don't think God wants me to be happy. He wants me to have joy, and I'd rather have joy. So if you sit here today and there's no juice in your walk, you just... It's just this feeling like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing out of duty, but I want more. If you believe that God wants you to have that, I'd like you to stand wherever you are. We'd like to pray for you too. Again, look around at the the people around you that are seeking more from Jesus than ever before. You may be seated. And the last one is easiest way to explain this one is you know you need to be bold you need to have courage and not timidity if while I was speaking this today if the Holy Spirit laid on your heart and mind the name of a person I I used to say someone you love but I'm not even sure I care that you love them I'm more care you could hate them it doesn't change what we know does it Jesus Christ knows and he loves anyway and so if God has laid a name or a face on your heart of someone that you're saying to God here today, would you create an intersection between the two of us that this conversation could happen, that I could go back and tell them about the man I met and have them come and see for themselves who he is. If God laid on your heart a name or a face, a family, an opportunity, and you're praying for boldness today to take the risk of stepping out with the truth and love, would you stand wherever you're seated? kingdom will grow if we will trust. If we will say to God, smack me with a two by four. Don't let me miss the chance to offer hope. I'd like the rest of you that are seated to please stand and join us for a word of prayer. God, we have prayed by standing. We have acknowledged you. You are the giver of all good gifts. You are the blesser You are the kind one. You're the loving, patient father. You've heard our prayers for joy, for boldness, and to increase our faith. God, may you have here on earth what you get in heaven every every moment of every day. Trust, obedience, love, glory. God, work your will. Draw people to your kingdom. Increase what we do 
so that Jesus Christ will be known. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.